Hi, this is Anton Glatzer of Del Norte Holdings, a platform that allows you to do cool things like move assets from the outside world to the digital world. I'm here on the edge of NFT, the podcast that always turns the best of the NFT space inside out for you. Keep listening. Hey, all you NFT curious listeners, check out today's episode to learn how Del Norte identified and is solving one of the biggest problems with global real estate ownership. And what today's guest views as their pillars of strength and why they are meaningful. Now, kindred hearts and favorite are making the business of social impact their business by sharing their hearts genuinely with the world. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode features Anton Klotzer, the founder of Del Norte, the blockchain fintech product company that is revolutionizing real estate by developing hardware-based title and property ownership management transaction endorsement protocols. They link government-verified proof of ownership with private commerce to unlock the true value of land and provide a secure way to invest, transact, manage resources, track, and take legal possession of real assets. Anton has founded several successful startups in real estate, online sales, marketing, mortgages, and technology, including Andean Brewing Company, the only craft beer sold in New York City's LaGuardia Airport, and Texas Oil and Gas Management. He also co-produced several commercially successful and award-winning feature films. Anton has spent the last five years building Del Norte and educating private sector and government leaders worldwide about its capabilities. And now he is here with us to do the same for Edge of NFT and our community as well. Anton, welcome to the program. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, man, you haven't been busy at all, have you? Jeez, Louise. (laughs) (laughs) That's a resume, man. That's a resume. Yeah, dude. Hey, listen, man, we, we really like to start at the beginning with our guests and elevate the origin story for our listeners. And what is the Del Norte origin story? Well, it started back in 2017, about the time when crypto started pumping, hit the, uh, I guess, the, the market, like the, the not, not the commercial market, but I guess, yeah, the, the public space. And people started talking about it on the news. And uh, one of my friends and business partners from films actually got in touch with me and said, hey, we should really look into this crypto thing. Maybe we can make some money there. And here we that, are. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's yeah. ever said that before. No. Crypto. no. <laughs> <laughs> so, and before that, I, I had no idea what like Ethereum or Bitcoin was, even though I actually, I did meet somebody in 2015 who told me to buy Ethereum. And back then it was like very difficult to buy. You had to jump through a bunch of hoops and it was like pennies and I didn't buy it. And now it's like, you know, I really should have, I really should have jumped through those hoops, at least learned them. <laughs> but anyway, so... At that same time, I was dating a girl whose family happened to be in the government of Honduras. Her father was a, a congressman and a minister of, of budget and planning for that country. And when I started going there, because I had real estate background, I worked in real estate since 2005. And for myself, as well as several large companies, and I worked in their acquisitions department, one of the things I had to do was uh, put up, put together like $100 million deals and figure out what well, the biggest challenge in that and those deals internationally was to figure out who actually owns the property because there's no title insurance outside of the United States and parts of Europe, places like India and, and we looked in Mexico and stuff. It was like you look at deeds and different like departments, government departments that, that record deeds because there's more than one. They would have the same dock in the same land with different owners. And it would be like, well, we can't buy this. So when I started going to Honduras and I and this was back when uh, crypto kitties and crypto punks like got on the scene. So I was like, well. I think you can encode real estate information into the NFTs. So I kind of started with that idea and it took probably the first two years to, can, to educate the local politicians that what I'm doing is not Bitcoin and it's not a scam. So once that hurdle has, uh, once I overcame that hurdle, we hit the pandemic and 
I think in some ways that actually expedited the process because what normally would have taken a decade for people to, you know, say, yeah, sure, the world is moving to touchless and doing everything on your phone and paperless and whatever. That one year was like a decade in education because everybody, because you couldn't leave your home. You couldn't, you couldn't just go and sign a document. Even when people were trying to do deals, I was actually doing a 1031 myself that, that was interrupted because of the pandemic. 1031 exchange. So when you change one real estate property for another in, in the US, mm-hmm. because it was interrupted and because the lawyers and everybody were unprepared, with something that should have taken months to years because they didn't have this touchless communication. So afterwards in 2001, when things kind of opened back up and government sort of got back on track, they were like, hey, you know what? Maybe this will give you a shot because whatever. We're already bankrupt. It's not getting any worse. So, so I got my first contract almost exactly a year ago, which is just slightly over a year ago. Tokenized the entire industry, the entire agricultural industry of Honduras. At that point, I had already had three iterations of the company. By that, I mean my initial partners thought it took too long, so they quit. Another company with new partners, they waited for a year, took too long, also quit. And then I created a third company with new partners still, and they held out until literally a month before I got the contract. (laughs) But so I did have a friend who was in, in, in tech in Ukraine, actually. And he was like, oh, I know crypto, I'll help you. And so me and him put together the, the technology after I got after the contract and we kind of got it off the ground, and which is the iteration of the company that I have today. The, before the company had different names as well. But this one, I, I, me and him became partners as well as my family and the other associates in Honduras. We became the majority owners, obviously, because we did all of the work for the five years. And then this year, we also got a contract in El Salvador to tokenize a part of that country. So we, because by the time we got that contract, I actually already raised money and we had a lot of things to show for it. We were able to throw a big event that was televised and made a lot of, at least the El Salvadorian and Central American publicity that we're the first company that's actually doing it. And ironically, because El Salvador made Bitcoin legal, they effectively made all crypto legal. Because as you all know, you can go into any DEX and exchange Bitcoin to any other coin without anybody knowing who you are or what you're doing or anything. So one coin legal means all of them are legal. So they they gave it a a shot. It wasn't that contract was a local one, but there is something a lot of these countries have which I noticed early on back in 2018, actually, when we started you know, talking to people in Congress and researching laws, Latin American countries, it turns out, because they all speak the same language, aside from Brazil and French Guyana, and Guyana also, I guess, Guyana speaks English. But because most of them speak Spanish, they plagiarize each other's laws. And by plagiarize, I literally mean they just copy and they just change the name from like Mexico to Honduras. Copy paste. You know, Colombia, they copy and paste, yeah which I think is actually a good thing. And they have the same language, they have uh, very similar cultures, and the laws are at least 90% the same throughout. And they have the same problems because of that as well. So it's quite easy to copy and paste the project from one place to another. Moreover, even when you start small, they have legislation on the books that mandates the government to adopt whatever works. That's the simplest way I can put it. Basically, if there's a new project that for water or for agriculture or even technology, they have to go with the cheapest and they basically have to at least try to implement it nationwide after the pilot program works on a local level, obviously, as long as you fulfill all the government's obligations, et cetera, et cetera. So before I was trying to go for the whole country, but then I realized, well, I don't have to. I can just go for the small deals which are easier to get. And with that, I can just get the whole country anyways. And so now this year, I believe before the end of this year, we'll be at least in five countries in Latin America. Wow. Pretty much every country in Central America and most of South America at this point. We're talking to all of those governments. Yeah, this is a really big deal. I mean, as we've talked through these episodes and and as I talked to lay people who aren't deep into crypto, they say NFTs, like what's with these JPEGs and all this stuff. Like, this is the example that I always give them when I say this is here to stay. And it's specifically exciting when you think about something like how cell phone technology took over Africa, right? In developing countries, mm-hmm. how people could leapfrog 
from not having computers at all to all of a sudden having access to the world's information. They didn't need to have that infrastructure because it was wireless, right? And so this is really interesting, exactly what you're doing in these Latin American countries. There's an infrastructure that even though they don't have the infrastructure, it's an infrastructure that's online, that's on a ledger, that could just be imported. And you are just patient, my friend, and you are the one that's doing it. (laughs) It's incredible. So let's dive deep into like the details here. So as I said in the intro, linked government verified proof of ownership with private commerce, unlock the true value of the land, provide a secure way to invest, transact, track, take legal action, possession of real assets. It's a lot of different facets. Is it that these are just kind of natural outcroppings of the fact that you've attached NFTs? How much of these details requires a lot of extension on your part of how things work with Del Norte? So a little bit background, I'll explain to you why it's all those facets that you just mentioned are in there. The number one wealth creator historically over the world is real estate. Whether you were a king or a peasant or any time throughout history, land equals wealth. That's hands down. It was true in, you know, in, since people started doing agriculture. And today, the reason the developing world is still developing and is not already developed, one of the biggest reasons is because they don't have clarity of ownership because people can't often prove that they can own, that they own what they actually own. And because they can't prove that they own it, they can't finance it because banks and when they do finance it, deals that they're getting are horrible compared to what we can get in America or in Europe, certainly in Europe, because in Europe you can get a, you can go to Germany in Germany and buy a million dollar apartment in Berlin and get a loan for 50 years at half a point, one half of 1% interest rate. You basically, you know, you're paying a hundred bucks for a million dollar loan a month for the next, what is it, 600 months or something like that. You can't get those kind of deals in Africa or in Latin America or in India or in Southeast Asia. Over there in Latin America, you get a 15% loan for 50% of the price, 50% of the price. And they usually require you to own something previously so they can take the house that you might default on and probably will because the rates are so crazy and your other house that you put up. So you can't get ahead. Yeah. I heard plenty of stories in Latin America too of People have a property, but if they have another property somewhere else that they live on and their neighbors just decide, hey, yeah, we like that next door neighbor's property and they're not around that much, just kind of squat on the land and then and then it becomes actually very difficult mm-hmm. to claim what you own, right? And it, it sounds like this is an incredible solution for things like that. It's pretty amazing. And just the the raw sort of ambition of this vision is what has impressed me. And I should let our listeners know that we are exploring a some kind of strategic partnership with Del Monte because we think it's it's really exciting what these guys are, are doing and we'll be hanging out together in Davos in a couple of weeks and that'll be a lot of fun. One of the things that's so important to us, Anton, is having a clear sort of set of core values and ethos for how you do business because there's a lot of ways to make money in the world and, and certainly in Web3, the possibility is unlimited and having that sort of foundation to how you do business is really important to us. And I know you focus on four pillars of strength and I wanted to sort of learn more about them and why they're so meaningful to you. Well, I don't want to say that we're not trying to make money here because we certainly are, but we also understand that in order to build a company and and a great product, it takes time and effort. And if I just wanted to make a quick buck, I could have done that five years ago. Five years ago, when there was the uh, crypto craze and people were making, you know, white papers that had, you know, nothing on them and no backings, got millions of dollars, and then they disappeared. There, there's a company that you may have heard of called Factum. They raised quite a bit of money in the, I think, in the tens of millions from the news that they were going to sign an MOU with the government of Honduras. They never signed an MOU, by the way. They, I know the guy who was supposed to sign. He went to Washington and then got cold feet and went home. Got a free meal and a free hotel. I had my MOU signed by the vice president of that country uh, three months into me visiting that country. I didn't go public with that because I didn't think that was enough. I took the time to get an actual contract. I can show you right now a dozen MOUs with Coldwell Banker of Central America and a bunch of other public and private entities. To me, while they are very important and certainly investors like those things, 
they're not contractually obligatory deals. They're just, yes, we want to work with you, but it, we they, might they, not they, last minute. That is true. But I will say getting any kind of MOU from a governmental entity, regardless of contractual obligations is still pretty impressive. And it it sort of symbolically means a lot in terms of the intent mm-hmm. of both parties, right? Yes, but, I, but just, I agree. Yeah, but, but I mean, backing up, what are these sort of pillars that you're, you know, are foundational to sort of how you run your company and the culture that you're creating? So first and foremost, we are a business. And so our goal is to create wealth, both for the people who use our product and people who invest in our product. That is to say our investors and our clients. As Our, our slogan is create wealth and security for the people. And if we can provide that, that also covers our second pillar, which is our brand, which is protecting the brand. Our brand is very important because we want to be at one day in the future as big as uh, Google or Microsoft or any of the other five tech giants. Now, the, the third pillar that we focus on is ethics. And in this case, we, I think, covered pretty well because by giving uh, clarity of title to, to people, we're not just focused on the investors, which is what a lot of these other allegedly competitors of ours, they, they're NFTing some property because they want, they want to crowdfund the deal. But the reality that most of the world is not investors. They're just regular people that might own a farm or a home. They're not looking for crowdfunding. They're just looking to prove that they actually own what they own or they, they live where they're supposed to be living. Those are regular people that we're going after. So our, our I guess, business model is more like a Walmart, which is huge volumes with very low margins. But because the volumes are so big and because how we structure our deal, basically we're effectively become irreplaceable in those people's lives. We believe we'll be creating a lot of wealth for those communities that we're tokenizing. Yeah, I mean, uh, on, that, on, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're having this show on a day where the, you know, the markets in the U.S. have, have taken a, a big tumble. And I think these simple concepts of creating wealth and sustainable economic value, which is going to be a conversation in Davos as well, are are not small topics and not to be taken lightly. Every aspect of our society, I think right now is very fragile. And it's having these types Mm -hmm. of strong pillars that create possibilities for more stability throughout the world. Yeah, we actually, with our product, we cover directly 11 of the 17 of the sustainable development goals, which is like the United Nations goals. And indirectly, we cover all of them. Again, because what we're trying to solve is the root cause of wealth creation and also wealth destruction, which is, which is ownership. If you can own something, then you can start building wealth. And if you can't own something, then you can't start building wealth. It's really that simple. So whereas a lot of the businesses focus on a specific area, we are trying to cover the area from which everything grows from. And, and I think if we're successful there, and I hope we'll be indirectly impacting even simple things like wildlife preservation and preservation of uh, nature and land. When you know that you own that land, maybe adjacent to that forest or to a coral reef or to whatever, you will be more likely incentivized to preserve it because you want to live next to something that is valuable and that you cherish. If you know that in your particular country or area, you can be kicked off that land any, at any time at the whim of some politician, then you're not going to care as much about it because no long-term incentive to preserve any, you know, whether it's a historical building or some forest or whatever. And it's really that simple. Even that's something that we're not, you know, we're not in the land preservation management business, but if you create the right incentives for the people, it, it solves a lot of the problems. Yeah. Incentives, right? Incentives. It's, uh, it's the underpinning of, of any great like economic system, either micro or macro, right? Aligned incentives right. help a ton. Let me ask you, man, you talked a lot about geographic expansion. It's a major you know, part of what your growth path is. What are your overarching growth goals beyond just you know, physical locations? And how do you define those? So our, our growth, our business growth goals is once again, when we can prove to the people, when we can acclimate them to using our platform and our service and get them to trust us with their land, 
and their house, we already built a payment infrastructure that is able to process crypto and fiat transactions simultaneously within the same system. We have a patent pending pending uh, hardware software solution. It's a hybrid solution. It's I don't want to really call it Web3 because I don't think it's exactly that. It's more of a hybrid solution that uses existing technology and existing laws. So once we can prove that you own something, we can then track the origin of production because we're not the ones proving it. It's the government that's validating the ownership, right? So then we can, then when you say, okay, well, I own this farm and I grow a ton of coffee on this farm, the government validates that you do actually own that farm. You can input all the data for the coffee, like altitude, moisture, content, et cetera, et cetera. And you say, well, I sell this coffee to this company that buys coffee. They now pay me. We can track the payment. So it's validated by third party. Now you have this entire infrastructure with uh, supply chain management already built into it. And now the value of both your, your land itself and the asset that you produce on that land is expanded. And now you can take it to the bank, you can sell it for more money, and you can sell it to the consumer for more money because you can clearly show origin and you can clearly prove this was organic. This was grown with XYZ fertilizer. This was, you know, I used this tractor to plow it or whatever it is. All that data already exists. People already have all this information. They're already using it. It's just not connected to anything. Or sometimes it is. But that supply chain is proprietary information of some company. We're giving them effectively an open source platform where you can plug in all this data and plug in all these other supply chains. They validate each other through the third-party validation. And now we have a whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, And we it, collect a small fee for all of that. Right. There you go. Well, it's, I think new technology really makes it, I don't want to say easy, <laughs> maybe I'll call it simple to create wealth, right? And we look at the so- the boom in software as a service companies that's ho- happened over the past 10 years when people realize, oh, I can make a software to help local real estate agents manage their paperwork and make millions of dollars just because there's efficiency there that needs to be unlocked. Mm-hmm. And what you're showing here with what you just said is like, it goes even way beyond the surface, right? Just all of these ways in which efficiencies get added when you put things on the blockchain. So clearly we're really excited about things. We want to know when does the DTV coin get publicly listed? And can you tell about about its functionality and how it's going to integrate into the system? Sure. So I cannot give you an exact date right now and not not just because it's like secret information, but it's also because we don't have one yet. We can, are you blink, can you blink four times for each <laughs> month, each week? <laughs> <laughs> we are hoping that in June, it will be public. We've had some delays, but nothing major. We are talking to several of the top 20 largest exchanges by volume. Again, I'm not going to name which ones because we don't actually ever deal with anybody yet. Right now, we were able to get a couple of somewhat well-known crypto investment funds on board, and they're helping us with uh, the public listing, with their connections, etc. Also, we one of the funds, it was basically a stipulation of their investment that we go to Davos, the World Economic Forum, in three weeks from now to for business development. And I think after that, we'll have much more clear picture of and, and an exact date as well, by that time, we should have when we're going public. I can give you the price at which we're going public, certainly. Also, the other thing that slowed us down, but is actually being resolved, hopefully tonight, as I have a meeting right after this, this event now, we needed to partner with Layer 1 Chain. We did get a grant from Polygon, but unfortunately, we were not able to facilitate that partnership as well as we wanted to. There was too many delays and we just, we decided to go with somebody else. And that deal, again, like I said, it's basically already sealed. I don't want to call it just yet, but tonight I have my final meeting with them and either we go with them or we won't, but pretty, pretty 95% sure we will. And again, with that, we'll be on much more solid ground as far as going forward. Pretty cool there, guys. I mean, this is the real... (laughs) blocking and tackling of our industry, trying to choose the right layer one partner. We've talked before in the show, there's a lot of grants out there, right? If you have something you want to do, a big vision and the team to do it, a lot of these layer one solutions will consider what you're doing. That's Polygon, that's Scale. Mm-hmm. Don't know which one Anton chose. He blinked a lot of times and I got a little bit confused. <laughs> so, Was but- it? 
Was it, is it Shiba Inu or something? Or? <laughs> no, no, no. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities there too. But yeah, excited to see where things go next for you. And I'm sure you'll have a lot of exciting updates for folks about your project. And we'll, we'll talk more about it in Davos, of course, when we get to hang out in Switzerland in May, which will be beautiful. One last question before we move on here. We like to take a step back and sort of understand what inspires folks to to build in this space and in the realm of Web3 and NFTs and want to know, like, what other projects in the space have sort of inspired you over, over the last year? I think it isn't so much other projects as the actual technology itself. I've uh, been into, the, like, always been interested in technology myself uh, since I was, uh, I guess, in middle school, even. I won, like, a science fair when I was in high school. I had a bunch of things that I tried to patent that I invented when I was in college including a remote control skateboard, as well as a ball that made electromagnetic fields. When I learned about Bitcoin and Ethereum for the first time, especially the NFTs, the very early versions of NFTs, like the CryptoKitties, at first I thought it was really dumb. But when I really started looking into it, I, I realized that there's a lot of use cases to this tech. And we are now basically in the same time frame as we would have been with internet, you know, back in the 90s. Except the difference now, because we have high-speed internet in a lot of places in the world. I mean, I got like well, 5G, but we do have 4G pretty much everywhere in Latin America already. So it's in case, actually in many places, it's better than it is in, in the US. Because again, because they just skipped over that infrastructure phase. They went right to the best tech because they had, they had nothing to replace, which is nothing there to begin with. And when I, I already knew some of the problems that they had with real estate, for example, one of the areas that we're tokenizing now, one of our pilot programs, we're tokenizing, it's, I guess they're kind of like states in El Salvador, and they literally have no maps. So they know in their deed, they'll tell you like this neighbor on this side and this neighbor on this side and this guy and, and your land is X, you know, this is how big it is. But there's no like actual map. So this is like surveying technology that from, I don't know, 15th century, 14th century, something like that, they, they like that. But yet everybody has an iPhone. Well, at least the rich people do. The poor people have a Huawei phone. But they all have, they all have smartphones, but they don't have tech. Should have been, you know, basic survey stuff basic land surveys. So we're not going to be doing a basic land survey now. What we're going to be doing is getting a drone who will be programmed with an algorithm with the, you know, the data points of the size of the land will just fly over one area and map it out that way. And then we just have to verify it with the landowners that, yes, this is Jose's land and this is Ricardo's land and this is Ronaldo's land and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But something that normally would have taken, you know, in America, it's actually harder to do that because they do have surveys and because they do have other things and because they do have this entrenched system already that works pretty well, actually. It's harder to replace it. And so when we're doing our project here in Miami, our both economic to us and to the people impact will not be nearly as impactful as our the same project in Latin America. So um, yeah, man, that's amazing. It's interesting this take you guys have have you know pursued on this thing. We don't think a lot about real estate, you know, uh, internationally and, and the meaning of ownership and why NFTs can really help solve that problem in a lot of big ways. It just hasn't been something that's really come across our desk much. But man, it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes sense on so many different levels, just as applicable in the United States as elsewhere. But the net value is so much more. I think internationally, based on what you've described, it's so interesting. Really appreciate you, you sharing all that with us. So the gross potential of this, if you guys know what microfinancing has done for the developing world, which microfinancing, as you may know, it's uh, basically tiny loans to people who are underprivileged or colloquially called poor people, all right? These are people who don't have bank accounts. They don't have, again, they can't prove that they own the land that they have, but let's say they want to start a business and they need it a hundred dollar loan, which to an average American, that's like, whatever, it's, it's, you know, a day's work maybe, or maybe not, not even, you know, depending on your job, but for them, that could be a month long salary. And so they, they can't get that. But with microfinancing, which was a big boom about a decade ago, if you got a cell phone and you got an application, you can get a tiny loan and you can start a home business. So 
And that industry has become, I don't know if it's a trillion dollar industry, but it's certainly in the hundred plus billion dollar industry globally. I mean, I think it's uh, in the tens of not 50 billion just in India alone already. So what that microfinancing has done for small businesses and economic development in, in places like Africa and Latin America and Asia, we hope to have that type of impact for macro financing. Because when you can prove that you own the land and the real estate, you can make it liquid. You can inject money into it. People, investors, banks, crowdfunding, et cetera, are, not, are no longer scared to finance that deal. So you can literally liquefy in the money sense all of the real estate. And depending on which source you look at, there is about 300 to 500 trillion dollars worth of real estate in the world that and because majority of the wealth comes from real estate and the markets in most of the developing nations are not trusted or well known again because it's very hard to prove and it's very easy to cheat for example you know Honduras El Salvador you know Nicaragua Guatemala they all have stock markets Nobody, you're not going to call your buddy and be like, hey, buy this hot stock in Guatemala. It doesn't happen with the locals because they don't trust them. You look at their, this public information, you look at their charts and, and their trading history, they might have, at best case, like one trade a month. It's a joke. Right, right. Yeah, man, <laughs> trust. We can, we, can, we can impact all those markets. Yeah, yeah, in a big way, man, in a big way. Well, we appreciate you, you getting into all the details there, man, and sharing them with our listeners. There's a lot of big momentum here. We see really big things happening for you, man. Yeah, we're just excited to see what's next, excited to see these next steps for you. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio. And you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right. This full service, soup to nuts, end to end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. Launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. You know, we wanted to take a minute and move to our next segment, though. And uh, it really is an exciting one. It's a hot topic, actually, that has uh, come across our desk and, and wanted to kick it over to Ethan to talk a little bit about what we're looking at here. Yeah, sounds great. Great interview, though, Anton. Great to get to know you here. Today's sponsored Spotlight Hot Topic covers the project, or shall we say movement, called the Kindred Hearts Art Project that will donate funds to nonprofits that directly support their mission of making a difference and impact in the real world. The team at the Kindred Hearts parent company, Favorite, spelled F-A-V-R-I-T, is driven by the collective desire to affect positive social change through financial inclusion and empowerment believe that every individual, regardless of age, race, gender, class, ethnicity, citizenship, or social status, deserves to be treated like the favorite and given the opportunity to succeed. Favorite partnered with over 50 artists and contributors to launch Kindred Hearts. And we have a couple of reps from the project here to talk about things today. And we have with us, you guys can come on here. We have Janine as well as James. And so the head of partnerships and, co and a contributing artist 
is James Fink, aka Art Snitch, as well as the creative director and contributing artist Janine Penn, aka XOJ9. It's really great to have you guys here and, and excited to hear a little bit more about the project. Tell me about making art for it. I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Who'd love to jump in and, and say how you were inspired? Feel free to unmute yourselves, whoever wants to chat first. Oh, you know what? I've got to give you unmute status. Sorry, guys. One second here. I didn't know we could officially keep people silent. That's oh, awesome. yeah, dude. That's... Good to know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Just in case they get on, <laughs> make sure you watch your mouth. <laughs> I like that. I like that feature. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, you guys can unmute yourselves now. Give it a shot. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, thanks go. for having us on. I'm going to probably throw over Janine because she is the creative director. But you can see, if you're watching on the uh, YouTube, you can see a bunch of examples of the art hearts that we created with the different artists behind her. Jean, I'll throw it to you to talk about the creative side because that is one of the more exciting parts of the project. Sure, thank you. First of all, I think that maybe all of you guys that are hosting this we're plotting with my husband with this whole concept of being able to mute and I can't unmute myself. <laughs> and and yeah. there's something to that, right? Yeah. You, you bark at that. Yeah. That's a plus that senior citizens consider when they have their hearing aids, you know, and they can just, yeah. I don't want to hear that person anymore. So turn that off. <laughs> so the project, I got involved probably like six months ago now. With the project, I got into NFTs about a year ago. Like many of us, we were under lockdown with the pandemic. And someone told me about Clubhouse. I had never heard about Clubhouse. I went in thinking, what is this surreal alternative universe I didn't know about? But it also is a reminder, we live in a, we live in a big world with a lot of interesting people. And I was attracted to the art rooms. I know I'm digressing a little bit, but I'm just sort of leading down the ramp here. So I kept listening and everyone was talking about NFTs. And I called my nephew, who was an early Bitcoin guy. And I said, Alex, what do you think about NFTs? He goes, they're on Ethereum and it's really unstable. So I don't know. I'll look into it and get back to you. He got back to me and said, Antonine, I think you should do it. So I started listening and learning and listening and learning and doing a little bit of my own art. I actually became more of a collector than creator. And I am a very heart-centered person, grew up with a mom who believed in giving back, taught my son with three piggy banks to have one to save, one to share, and one to spend. I think, I feel like this project embodies that in so many ways. So Johnny Utah, who is the founder of Favorite, F-A-V-R-I-T, which came from a note that his daughter left for him, you're my favorite which is super sweet. He felt during the pandemic that his family was incredibly privileged and he wanted to do more. And he thought there's so much going on in cryptocurrency and what can we do to give back to the world for people that need it more? And thus Favorite was born and Kindred Hearts became is our first project. The Kindred Hearts, as you can see in my background, there's a few examples. The art is based on a heart. And when Be Creative is the co-creative director and I were brainstorming and meeting about this, we ended up developing these cards that have 10 layers. And we knew we wanted to bring multiple artists into it. We knew so many artists. We love the artist community. And the question was, how do we do it and keep it interesting and make it unique? So we decided to assign three of the layers to the artists None of the artists knew who else was working on it. They had to sign an NDA. No one was allowed to talk about it. And they might get the heart, they might choose to do a heart layer or a background layer or what we call charms. There's one top, one bottom. And then we worked with our developer to create a unique generator to generate these. So we have billions literally of possibilities of how the artist collaborated. That's really um, cool. Yeah. We also have 21 one of ones. And the way that everyone will see them is if we mint out. Yeah. So and, we haven't sold out yet. The, to go back to the original question, which was, you know, like we had over almost 60 artists collaborating on this. That was quite a feat to put together. You know, you reach out to friends that are artists and, you know, their friends and their friends, and you ask them to deliver or deliverables by, by time. So it was a lot of hair pulling, but at the same time, it's, it's really cool. As a contributing artist, I've seen my 
part pop up with other artists that I've gotten to know over the last six months working on this project with Janine. And it's been really, really, really cool to now say I've collaborated with people and I've connected with people that, again, without this project, I probably wouldn't have, except for being in maybe some spaces or clubhouse rooms with, which, you know, you might end up on stage with them and talking, you might not, but this is a little bit more heartfelt. And then the second piece of this that's really important is that all of the several portions, a large portion of the funds go to nonprofits. And we work with the Giving Block to match that. And we decided early on, even before showing that we wanted to put our heart where our mouth was and our, our wallet was. And we've already donated over 40 grand to different charities through, even though we haven't minted out yet. Because this project isn't about necessarily making money. Um, it's, of course, about employing some people to make sure that contracts are right and all of those things are done well. But outside of that, none of the founders are trying to take any money. We're all trying to just kind of give back, create a place where artists can get a little more exposure. My mom is one of the artists. She's a traditional artist who's never done an NFT in her life, never done a digital piece of artwork in her life. And she's got a heart and I've got a heart and hoping that in background. So hopefully they, they mix together. And that's a cool little story of many that go along in this kind of, in this project. Yeah, yeah. that's, I was just going to say that's, it's really cool. And we were talking earlier today about sort of the, how excited people were about the social impact panels at NFTLA and how this is a really important way to tie people together, in this case, heart first, in terms of the power of blockchain and NFTs. And I think we've seen on this show two very different ways of making a social impact. It's hard to distinguish, you know, what really distinguishes, at least in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, what distinguishes good art from bad art. And I, I read a bunch of books on uh, this traditional arts like Rembrandt and Picasso and everything. They became famous and popular because, because of promotion, because, you know, some of these people died penniless and homeless, basically, the artists. And even the Mona Lisa, which is like, you know, the most famous art piece in the world, it only became famous because it got stolen from the Louvre. Before that, nobody cared about it or knew about it. So at the end of the day, I think that the art world, it's really, if you, if you have huge PR behind it, then it becomes famous, popular, and expensive. And then if you don't, then it's, you know, you're one of a million artists. Well, I think well, one of the things that about the <laughs> NFT world that's interesting is that coupled with the art, in a lot of cases, there's a secondary goal of giving back, the secondary goal of having a impact beyond the economic interests of the founders, right? And a lot of them do it and they, and they leverage it. We, we have one that has a secondary goal of that, right? As well, our Living Tree Project. It's an important one. Doesn't mean it's not important, but it is a secondary goal, right? It's a give back program. And when you say as a part of the favorite community that giving back is at the essence, right? Of the project, right? It's a, it's a bit of a different take, right? And it means a lot. The belief, I like the statement that the company is driven by the collective desire to affect positive social change through financial inclusion and empowerment. That's a really bold statement. And you got to really align what you do with what you believe, right? In order to, I think, in order to deliver that authentically. And that's pretty bold. You know, it's, I don't know, it's a pretty bold statement, I think, for any NFT project. Well, I pre we appreciate that. I'm sorry. Ahead, what I think has been interesting, so we just revealed on the second and of May, just a few days ago, we've been doing a lot more rooms, you know, Twitter spaces and clubhouse rooms and getting to meet more of the people in our community. But, you know, we also feel like it's a culture. Each of these projects have a culture to them, too, and the DNA of, of the project. And I am not surprised by the people that are attracted to this and show up. They have some incredible stories to share with us about their own lives, what they're doing in their life, sometimes out of terrible circumstances. They've created foundations. You know, there's this amazing artist who has Crohn's disease and suffers with pain and he loves our project and he loves our community. And there's other people, they're not just heart centered, but they also are a culture of giving back in the world and taking bad situations and making them good and looking at someone down the street or across the world saying, I can help. I might be in this situation, but I can help. And that's really important. Our whole team is the same way. I think that's why we're all in this project. But also the people that are collecting are like-minded. And what's also interesting, I know, I'm sure most of you have collected projects 
There's always a lot of flipping that goes on early on. There's always the flippers, right? Nobody's putting them up for sale. They're holding. Now, I think part of that is the mission. And I think part of it is, I know I'm totally biased, but the art's awesome. We get so giddy every time we see a new one revealed because we don't know, like, is it going to be Charmaine's heart and Kane's background or someone else? These are artists that are really well known in the space. And the artists are all like on Twitter saying, oh my God, that's so amazing. And Kane the other day, he's like, I've never felt this way. I usually want my art to go out in the world, but I feel like I want to collect all of mine. <laughs> I want them to be mine. Yep. So there's a lot of emotion here. Yeah, it, reminds um, me, it reminds me of this game. Are you guys familiar with it? It's called Exquisite Corpse. Has anybody ever played this? I think there's various names for it, but it's where you, fo- mm-hmm. you fold an eight and a half by 11 into three segments so that you can't see any of the other segments and like one person draws like the legs and they just draw a couple lines to inspire the next person to draw the midsection and then they fold that over and they just draw a couple of lines for someone to draw like the head and shoulders right of like an exquisite corpse or a monster or something like that right and uh, it's always fun to do like it's very it has a very similar ethos right you get a little bit of a place in the project but you're really throwing together everybody's inspiration to create something that is a surprise, but, but usually like a pre- pleasant and interesting surprise. Right. Yeah. It feels like that very much when it reveals. Yeah. It's um hovering through a lot of these on Twitter and the reveals that people have shared. And, and yeah, there's such, so much beauty from like the zebra heart with the dolphin hanging out, the seahorses to the, the heart with the, a skull in there and in all different versions of, of beauty here. And uh, congrats on what you guys have done. And, wish you the best with the journey of this project and and wherever it leads from here. And I guess we have a a little giveaway for our fans as well for this project. So 10 kindred hearts, is that correct? I believe so. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And a few mint passes for that. So uh, yeah. Amazing. We really appreciate that. Keep an eye on our socials listeners uh, for the details on how to secure one of those coveted passes. And we'll have some information on it that very, very soon. But also we want to make sure the folks know where to follow the project and, and all of the fun happenings around it. Where should they go? Websites, socials, et cetera? Yeah. So it, kindredhearts.io is, is the website. And then Kindred Hearts on Twitter is probably the best place to stay in touch with everything that we're putting out there. And people tagging us and you know mentioning us as they reveal their hearts and showing off, as well as a lot of the artists. They're pretty active on our socials and kind of celebrating what they're seeing as well, which is cool because we've had some very large artists uh, that have participated in this, as well as some new artists. So a lot of action and talk and, and ce- celebrating. Yeah, something to celebrate for sure. Love the mission, love the vision, the alignment, the DNA, everything you guys have shared with us. Uh, we'll be following really closely and we hope our listeners do as well. Thank you very much for having us. Much for having us today. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Later. Amazing stuff, guys. So we wanted to, to just do a quick shift to our next segment as well. And it's it it is about giving back. It is about elevating, you know, folks that are important to us and important to our community. And so wanted to kick it over to Josh for a little fan shout out. So Josh, floor's yours. Yeah, yeah. This one's really special, guys. I've known Eugene Lopin for a long time and and so does Anton. He's been a friend of mine in the crypto community for many years. And he was kind enough to introduce us to Anton. And he's been cooking up some really cool stuff in the background. And one of those projects is, is actually Magnetic 3D. And he's now joined as head of growth and partnerships. So congrats to Eugene for this new exciting role. And for those of you that went to NFT LA, you got to see what Magnetic 3D is all about. And it's cool, guys. So what we're talking about is they're developing holographic display technology. They're all about the hardware, the software, and content solutions for market-leading, glass-free holographic displays. And these are 28 to 100-inch screens in tablets. And he's come on to manage this uh, division So for consumers in the space. So if you want to check out some really cool holographic displays. Look at Magnetic 3D and you can reach out to Eugene on Twitter at Lopin Eugene. That's L-O-P-I-N-E-U-G-E-N-E. All right. Very sweet. That's very cool. Thanks, Josh, for giving that shout out here. And Anton, man, we covered a lot of ground today. And 
there's a lot to digest. I think for, for a lot of people, there's probably a learning curve here. And we want people to be able to go and dive a little bit deeper with Del Norte, learn about it and be able to support it. Where should folks go to do that with website as well as uh, socials? So we actually have two websites. One of them is specifically for the coin. And then the other one is more of a business website. It talks about our various platforms and technology. And that one is more for business and governments. The coin one is very simple. It's just dtv.tech. That's dtv.tech. And the other one is delnorte.space. Perfect. Thanks so much, listeners. Go check it out. So much to uncover there. Lots of layers of the onion to pull back. So word on the street is we also have a little giveaway from Del Norte. Got some ditto NFTs and DTV crypto coins. Anything else you want to share about that little giveaway, Anton? Yes. So early on, well, early on this year, really, uh, the metaverse thing kind of took off and everybody, a lot of the people that I spoke with, they're like, hey, what are you doing about the metaverse? Or why aren't you in the metaverse? Or this or that. So we're actually opening up our office in the metaverse. And one of the things we created is this little cartoon robot to teach people about the products, about the company, and about the coin. And the robot is called Dito. It's Del Norte robot. It's just a short thing. <laughs> so we are, uh, specifically for the show, I created 100 of these NFTs, and we're going to give away 10 of them. They haven't been... So this is my first NFT launch, just so you know, for, for these cartoons. They'll be ready to subscribe on our website by this Sunday. And then people can go in and put in their email. And then if they win, they'll get one of these, I guess it's a loot box. And when they mint it, they'll see what the robot looks like. Nice. Uh, otherwise, Amazing. they'll be yeah, they'll be available on like OpenSea in the next, I think, one or two weeks. No, no more than that. We also, the reason I mentioned Metaverse, we also partnered with this company, with an individual named Marcus Shingles who is the former president of XPRIZE, and he was the co-creator of the Metaverse Education Program for the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. And this company is called Exponential, Exponential Destiny. We're partnered with them now, and they will be doing the Metaverse education on our behalf. And that is something that we are actually donating to the places where we open up a pilot program in, in every country or every city and state. We will be doing the metaverse education. We'll have a metaverse office, and then we will have this little metaverse robot that'll ideally walk your, you know, hold your hand and walk you through all the metaverse and show you how you can tokenize real estate and certify the token and do all the transactions, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. Nice. Well, guys, yeah. uh, keep our, your eye on our socials for giveaway details. We'll get you all the information on how to enter and participate through our platform. Very, very cool. Very generous of you. Thanks, uh, Anton, for offering that. Mm -hmm. And thanks again for, for everything today. We really do appreciate having you on and sharing with us uh, everything you've been working on. So I guess we reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today, guys. Thanks so much for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers to make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then Go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.